listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Toonstar, an animation tech startup that produces snackable, interactive content for mobile audiences. To learn more, visit Toonstar.com or download the Toonstar app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Terry Matthews, CEO of TM Partners and founder and CEO of Jaden's Voice, a nonprofit organization that serves children and families who've been impacted by autism. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, James. So happy to be here. Yeah, so glad that we could get together. Me too. I, I'm enjoying the weather too, especially since Philadelphia right now is like below zero. I yeah, think. that's right. <laughs> so we were talking just before the show. You're actually from California, from I the Bay am. Area originally. Yes, I am San Francisco Bay Area, born and raised and educated there okay. for, for college. So tell us about growing up in, in San Francisco. What was that like? So I had a pretty unique background. Um, for me, I am a biracial kid. And of course, there's a lot of that that happens in California, which is amazing. But there are challenges that I had growing up. Um, you know, oftentimes when my parents traveled and went different places, being a biracial kid wasn't always acceptable. Um, so in my life, I've been challenged by a lot of adversity. But as we'll talk, you know, I feel like that prepared me for my future. Um, my parents at one point in time had a great deal of wealth. My father used to rent out amusement parks, so we were the only people in there. Wow. Um, and so we went from living at that level to being in a, in a homeless situation and living in a shelter. And my family, my father and mother ended up in a divorce and both um, went through drug addiction issues. Mm-hmm. And um, I was left pretty much to fend for myself, the oldest of seven, and started living on my own and was in college by the time I was 15. So they, they say that's because I was smart. I say that's because I wanted a better situation. Yeah, out of necessity, so, huh? Yeah, out of necessity, yeah. yes. And so you went to Berkeley at yeah. this young age, right? And then graduated, started a career in HR. Tell us about your early career. So HR um, was my background uh, and I kind of fell into it. I wasn't actually sure. I didn't have a lot of mentorships or examples before me. I come from a very small family. And um, again, being the oldest of seven, I didn't have like a ton of siblings and aunts and uncles where I could say, oh, you know, bounce kind of career ideas off of them. So um, just out of necessity and, and being experienced exposed in different areas. And I couldn't, I had ne- I've never in my life worked at a fast food restaurant or a restaurant at all, although I've now owned restaurants, but uniquely enough, I had to always be in positions and working in jobs that paid me enough to cover the rent because it's not cheap here <laughs> in California, you know? So I would always find myself working in an office environment. And that's kind of how I stumbled on, you know, what it is that I liked. And, and um, I'd worked in a variety of types of positions but found my love in human resources. Being in organizational structural design on one end of HR, understanding the financials um, on another side of HR and the compensation benefits, and more importantly to me, employee relations. So that was a big area that I ended up in and would soon know that I wanted to do things different than what I had seen in Fortune 500 companies being done. So tell us about that. You went on to become a very successful entrepreneur. Has that always uh, been in your DNA? What inspired you? Um, I would say that what inspired me the most was that I just wanted to do things different. And it's very difficult to work in someone else's organization and try to make them change the rules, if you will, I think, or the policies or how they do things, right? And so I can't say that I just woke up and say, hey, I want to be this entrepreneur. Um, I had passions. I had I had thoughts and I had seen things that were not done and I wanted to do it better. And I would say really from a consultant standpoint, that gave me the 
biggest opportunity for me to get my feet wet as an entrepreneur. As a consultant, I would typically take the skill set of HR, HR law, um, and I would also take that skill set of organizational structure design and developing companies to get them or scale them, whether they were new companies or an existing company that was there and just needed to do things better. And we all know people are your biggest expense. So how do you do it better with people, right? Um, is it always necessary to downsize, you know, because you're trying to find that quick money in a business? So for me, I had had an opportunity to work with a ton of people in a variety of industries. And so you spending their money and showing them how to spend their money better, be more effective at what they did with great cost measurements and all of those great things that come. So I had a chance to see a variety of industries and really figure out what I want without the risk at the time as an entrepreneur. So that part was good. And then once I saw how things worked, I would spin off and say, oh my gosh, I want to do this and I want to do it this way. Or, you know, oh, this has never been done. Let me try this this way. Or let me open this because this is a niche that hasn't been developed or created. And so that kind of sparked my whole entrepreneur part of my life. So you started in consulting, which, as you said, was a great way to learn and test a lot of things that you were interested in and, and get a sense for what skills that you could bring to the table. And then uh, later on, you went on to, to start some businesses. Tell us about the experience as a first-time founder? Oh my goodness. It was not what, as much exposure as I had had, remember I was walking in at one point in time into business that were already existing. So I could take a look at those things and draw those things out. And of course, from a corporate perspective, working in corporate America, sometimes working for companies that were, you know, $9 billion, you know, this is a company with 34,000 people earning revenue of $9 billion. You know, they, they weren't short on cash when it came to getting things done. So from an entrepreneurial side, I had to learn like, okay, working capital, if you don't have that, you can fail, right? I just, for me... I think my early upbringing, as challenging as it was, it prepared me for risk. I always had to take risk at a younger age, right? I had to take risks to eat. I had to take risks to, to keep a roof over my head. I always jokingly say I don't do death or drugs, none of that kind of stuff. But there were certain types of risks that I had to take or do things that I didn't like in order to survive. And so from an entrepreneurial side, when I would come across those things as entrepreneurs do, okay, uh, this is a lot of money. How am I going to make this happen? Or can I continue to sustain this business model, right? And how do I generate enough revenue to do that? All of those questions. I wasn't so worried about that. I focused on the thing that I was passionate about and I and the money came. And I know that that's kind of cliche now. I hear people saying it more and more, but it's really true. I think that if you really, really take the moment and you're doing something because you really enjoy it and know that there are going to be parts of it that you're not going to enjoy, but you're not doing it for money. A lot of people as entrepreneurs say, I want to do that because they think they're going to make millions of dollars and it doesn't work that way. You've also done quite a bit of crisis management work with uh, oh some gosh. pretty high profile clients, right? I, I, Celebrities, actors, I politicians. Have. Yeah. I have. I've been jokingly called the Olivia Pope of business that doesn't sleep with the president. So for those scandal fans out there, and I've had a chance, obviously, to meet Shonda Grimes. So maybe, you know, uh, Rhymes, I'm sorry, I'm mixing her up with another Shonda. But um, the thing about it is, I would say this, I think from for me, working with individuals, even in that, that crisis management, I watch how people feel like, I swear, it reminds me of the Wicked Witch of the East when she was melting when the house fell on her. And it's like, the situation is really serious, but it's staying 
calm in the moment, understanding that this too shall pass. What can be fixed? Why are we here? How are we going to handle it? And at the same time, hoping that client comes out on top. And when I say hoping is, I mean, some stuff that I've had to deal with is just plain out dirty and just not a good situation. And those people have put themselves there, but it's also teaching them accountability and all of those things that I've been able to support other people. And I think at the same time, it's helped me. It's like, I don't want to go that route. I don't want this to happen. Right. And so I I feel like it's helped me keep my feet out of the mess, if that makes any sense. Yeah. What are some of the projects that your business is working on today that you're most excited about? So from the nonprofit side, because again, TM has quite a few brands under that umbrella, really it's on the spectrum. And this is an area that I had never I can say out of all the things being an entrepreneur, and I've owned everything from technology companies. I used to own a vodka company. I've never even drank in my life. I have owned restaurants. I've owned environmental companies. I mean, there's, I was the vice president of a record label. Like I've had an opportunity to really get my feet wet and hands and touch all sorts of things in financial industry, technology industry, and learned it and loved it. But I've never thought that I would executive produce a television show It just seems so fitting, especially given the time. And so that project right now is called On the Spectrum. I think all of us have a little bit of autism. It's whether or not it impacts our daily lives. Like, you know, we can't do what we would normally do because we can't get over particular hurdles. That's why they call it a spectrum. Uh, And I jokingly say sometimes when I get caught up in stuff, this is my autism, right? (laughs) Like it's kicking in. But the unique part about on the spectrum is autism impacts everyone. There is no cure for it. Whether you are related to someone, raising a child, being a, a community leader or supporter, a teacher, a politician, you know, you work in a restaurant, nine times out of 10, you're going to come across someone who's on the spectrum. And I think it's time now that we pull back the layers and begin to communicate and show what autism looks like and how it is different in every household and every family. And that not only just the heavy stuff that comes with autism, but the creative genius, amazing people that are living out here that are on the spectrum. And so we, that we, Again, call this show Hope and Healing Through Media, and it, we call it Prescription TV. Those are our two taglines about it because that's how I feel. Now, your son, Jaden, was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. He's 11 now. Yes. So tell us about your experience with autism as a mother and as someone who's now taken that experience and, and given back and helped others. So I would say this, as I was sharing with you earlier, James, my son is one who has taught me so much that I actually already thought I knew. So you know, going back to where I said, I'm kind of this Olivia Pope. Olivia Pope is a fixer. I'm a fixer, right? I'm hired by companies and people and countries even to help solve problems, right? And here was one problem, my son being diagnosed that I couldn't solve. There wasn't a relationship that I had. It wasn't money that I could, a check I could write. Nothing could could change that diagnosis, right? It could It could improve it with the right resources and access to services and help but it, it didn't change. And so as a mom, Jaden was also diagnosed, I would say at the height of me being an entrepreneur. Here I am at that time, I was working with a corporate office that had a, a big, massive transition. I was acquiring a company for $510 million. I have all my own businesses going. And here I have this child who has two older sisters, right? Who's now diagnosed with autism. And for those parents who are raising an autistic child, there are a lot of challenges that come. And for Jaden, he wasn't born this way. Here is this child who was 
two years old, talking, speaking, doing everything that a typical child, neurotypical child does. And at the age of two, two and a half, he had a fever for a few days. He stopped pointing, he stopped speaking, and he was now in a diaper. And I would never hear his voice again for four years. So here I am with this child, not understanding quite how to solve the problem. And really it was by the grace of God that I was able to continue to push through my own life. Because entrepreneurship is hard and I had other children and I was married and, you know, all of those types of things. Life doesn't stop when you have a diagnosis. And so I had to figure out how all of how to manage all of that and keep it all floating at the same time. And it was the worst time and also the best time, because I think that's when I really discovered who I was and what my purpose is. I think that's when all the dots connected where I thought, this challenging upbringing I had at one point in time and then working through entrepreneurship and having create the, the structures that I had did from large organizations and even down to me being a biracial child all made sense now in reference to the work that I would build under Jaden's voice, being able to go to all of these different types of countries and be able to relate to all sorts of people and cultures being able to take a look at how autism is. I met with 43 countries, first ladies about what autism looks like in their country. I've also had a presentation by all 43 countries and taking a look at that and saying, Oh, why is it done here this way? And not this way, erasing the stigmas there because some of those countries are challenged by is autism, a demonic possession, you know, is it a curse, you know, all of those types of things. And so I think today as a mom and as an entrepreneur, and raising a child on the spectrum who now speaks, by the way, it has afforded me the opportunity to meet so many amazing people from all walks of life and also to transfer those skill sets that I have in business and also pour hope into people where maybe they had forgotten about themselves or their lives after having a child with autism. So I'm just like, you guys can do it too. If I'm doing it, you can do it. That's amazing. So you've got Jaden's Voice, which became this nonprofit vehicle for you to do advocacy work and help other families struggling with the issues. But I'm I'm also intrigued by the fact that you've turned to media, right? You mentioned television and, of course, online media, Vimeo, YouTube, these other social platforms as a way to connect people, let them know that they're not alone, share those experiences, share the hope and the stories. So tell us about the decision to launch on the spectrum and what you're doing with the TV program. I wrestled with that for a while, you know, in my own mind, and this is probably the first time I've ever said it out loud in all honesty, there are thoughts that come across my head because you hear people say, hey, who's going to watch that? You know, and I'm thinking, are you guys crazy? Do you know how many people, how many millions of people in this world are living with autism? And even though I had had the opportunity to serve on the nonprofit side and be in the homes in different countries and places, the theme was the same. People were hidden all the time. Women would not take their children out because they were ostracized by their community in certain countries, right? These kids were being killed and buried because they had autism and the lack of communication or understanding. And you know what? All of those countries don't have cable network and TV like we do, but guess what they do all watch? They watch YouTube. You know, they're, they're, they're going on to YouTube to figure out what is autism, right? And so in addition to that, um, right here in the United States, I saw the same thing. Obviously, Unfortunately, we have had those instances, but less prevalent. People aren't walking around killing their children, but they're embarrassed by their children, right? And they're keeping them tucked away and they're falling into depression and they can't celebrate their wins and losses with their neighbor who has a neurotypical child because your child who might be six eating a hot dog for the first time or saying communicating for the first time 
where you're thrilled about it. Your neighbor's like, well, he's six. He should be eating a hot dog. He should be saying these things. So you, you are lost. You have nobody to celebrate with. And so I wanted to change that. And the quickest, fastest way to me, because we all love media, is to use media. So the thought was to create this platform, erase the stigmas, be able to globally reach out, have more people tell their stories, and kind of rip the stigma away. And again, not operate so much on the woes me of autism, but, you know, find the gifts and the talents. Maybe we've been doing things all wrong. We want autistic people to fit in this box of what we have developed as social norms. They don't fit. And that's okay. Maybe there should be no box. Maybe we should just learn how they learn or allow them to learn how they learn and be okay with it. Maybe traditional school for them is not the best. I mean, Silicon Valley is loaded with autistic individuals and people are making hundreds of millions of dollars off of these people um, and they have a lot to offer. But I think our community needs to know that, not just certain industries. Right. And we need them to understand their value and their worth. So instead of me telling Jaden who he should be, you know, you finish school, you now go to college, you have to pick a job. It should be one of these types of things. It's like, no, Jaden, what do you want to do? What are your gifts? Not you like to draw, you like to build, you know, maybe Jaden can't go to college and do college the, the quote unquote normal way, reading, writing, math and science, but he could go to a trade school that taught him architectural design and development or whatever. And he could actually contribute and build another Eiffel Tower, right? And he didn't need reading math and all of that to go along with it. That's not a strong suit. So I think we just have to begin to think differently and make sure that the world is more accommodating because they say by the year 2032, if we stay on the track that we're on, first of all, autism has no cure. By the year 2032, they estimate it will be one in two children diagnosed with autism. There currently is no medication for autism, not that I want to medicate my son, but I mean, I just think that we need to make sure that our world is beginning to shape itself to support and accommodate a very rapidly growing population. So. Why do you think that is? Is it just greater awareness that before people weren't diagnosed who probably are living on the spectrum, as you say, or is it, uh, is there an increasing prevalence of this condition for some reason? I think it's a combination of both in yeah. all honesty. Um, you know, I've always gotten the question, where does autism come from? And for me, I, all of the study and research, you know, I jokingly say I have a PhD in this now. I probably gave it to myself, but you know, um, I mean that because of the fact that I believe we all have a cell, right? Just like cancer. It's just what triggers in us. And it can be anything from drugs to environmental to genetics. You know, um, Jaden's had all of his genes studied. They always say this child's genetic makeup is not what we're seeing on the outside. So for me, that was very interesting. He has quote unquote perfect genes. So I'm like, huh? So for him, it's neurological. I think autism's always been around, right? Um, it is a situation where we didn't identify it as autism. I remember being young and when kids, quote unquote, were slow and we made fun of people, not me per se, but when people made fun of people, right? Saying, oh, you ride the short yellow bus. And we always associated everything with mental retardation. That wasn't necessarily what it was. We just didn't have a name for it. So I think autism's been around for a long, long time. Um, I think it's being diagnosed more. We have better uh, ways to identify and there are characteristics that are attributed to autism so we can pinpoint it a lot better than we have. But I also believe at the same time, it's 
it's at a rapid rate that it's growing. I mean, 10 years ago, it was one in 10,000 children. We are now at one in 45 children that are diagnosed. It's, they say one in 54. Some reports say one in 45. But boys are more diagnosed than girls. And the question is why? Is it the foods that we eat? You know, is it the change of the environment that's going on? Is it the things that we're digesting? What is it that's turning this gene on? right? In my mind, or this cell, if that's your issue, then, and why, you know, what, and we haven't figured that out yet. So we're pouring all this time into research, but at the same time, for those of us who have kids on the spectrum or more kids that are being born, if there's nothing that's out there to change it, the world has to start accommodating, right? What are we going to do? Have a bunch of homeless individuals? Cause one day I'm going to get older. So I have to prepare Jaden as much as possible to be independent. Uh, We all can't live on Social Security. We all know that welfare isn't going to work. Everybody's not going to be independently wealthy. Like, so what systems are we putting in place? And Microsoft and Seattle's doing a great job. They have made a commitment to hire 100 people that are on the spectrum. But even though people are hiring people, that's another thing that I teach. They don't know how to maintain a person that's on. They don't know how to keep them employed. Um, They don't know how to create accommodations. And some employers are so afraid of that word because of the lawsuits that fly around. But most people don't realize that autistic individuals are probably the most dependable employees that you can have. It's just being able to accommodate some of the other needs. So do you do work with corporations to help them understand? I do. I do. That's one of those other Olivia Pope hat things I do. So again, me finding my purpose and passion through my son's diagnosis that's been a big deal for me. Uh, And again, because I have that HR background, right? And so I know the concerns and fears that corporations have when it comes to hiring someone and the challenges that you might have if you have a neurotypical person who might not have any issue at all, at least on the outside, right? And then you hire someone on the spectrum and you're doing all these accommodations, then how do you keep those employees from feeling frustrated You would think that they would understand, but sometimes they still get frustrated by it. But I've been talking a lot to even healthcare companies about something known as invisible disabilities, not just autism. You know, cancer is considered an invisible disability, right? But the thing about it is, is that it's hiring those individuals and helping companies see the benefit of having someone that's on the spectrum. Yeah. And I think that's, again, kind of the power of your television show. Is that it is. You're highlighting the gifts that these people have and that everyone is different and that, that there need to be different paths. There need to be alternative approaches to education. Right. And creating a, a cultural sense of support for these people. Absolutely. And what's wrong with it? Why, why right now do we have to do things? It, it kind of, it, it brings me back to, I remember when I was younger and I remember the ideal was, you grow up, you get married around 26, you start having babies, you know, and during that time period, a mother could work in the home or outside of the home, but it was favorable for you to be a homemaker. But who came up with that? And why, why is it, that's what we need to do, right? And why is that acceptable? Or it was like, you grow up, you go to college. That was the thing that you did. If you didn't go to college, shame on you, right? But we all know most of the world's wealthiest people don't have beyond a ninth grade education, I mean, that's the truth, but we're not telling everybody drop out of ninth grade and just do. And I I would never say that. But what I'm saying is, is that we have to stop saying what's acceptable. And you're right. We do want to use the platform, one, to raise the stigmas, two, to bring more unity in families, to help give them a voice, to empower them, to raise their voice, to say, yes, it's okay. My kid's on the spectrum. You know, when Jaden was in the middle of having a meltdown in Target, 
I had to go to Target. I mean, that was my way of, and I was so grateful. Thank you, Target, for building uh, a mini grocery store because he couldn't handle going to Target and then a grocery store. So for my basic needs, I would get my toiletries and then I would grab my supplies. But Jaden would come into Target and I finally put a t-shirt on him that says, I have autism, what's your excuse? Right. Because he would have these meltdowns and all these people would be looking at me and I would be suffering embarrassment. And, you know, and on my T-shirt, it said autism moms rock. So I started in my own way, educating people and being non-apologetic. I wanted them to understand because it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to change everything overnight when it comes to Jaden. But I can change how you view Jaden. I can change how you view me. You think I'm a bad mom. I remember going to church with him and people thought I couldn't control my child. Well, he couldn't stand the tambourines and the loud singing at church. And I always wanted to sit in the front row. I didn't know that. So he would go into meltdown and I would have to leave the church and they want to give him a sucker and a sticker and all these other things. And none of those things work. So guess what? When we figured out how to communicate to churches... Now we started going to churches and teaching them, why don't you put together a a space and a place where a parent can still come to church and maybe they can see the service, but they're not right in where the tambourines and all of this other stuff is going on. Or you develop a class that um, focuses on the special needs community where a parent can still take their kid and know that their kid's okay and they're learning about the Lord if that's what you want to do. And the parent can enjoy service. Like, just change. We don't have to do it the same way. It's okay. And I think that we want to use that platform to say that. And we want to give people those ideas and what they do with them is what they do with them. But we want to say, hey, these things are acceptable. Accept your child's gifts. Stop trying to fix your child and force them to fit in something. If that's not where they fit, then where do they fit? How do you explore those gifts and and create, allow them to create the narrative, even if you have to be the voice of their narrative. And I think that that's what normal is now, yeah. for me, at least. How has your experience in the business world been different? What are some of the challenges that you face now working in the nonprofit world? So I would say it's a lot different because in the nonprofit world, you're constantly having to fundraise, right? Or look for grants. It's a lot different. Um, not that as a nonprofit organization, you can't create a type of product, but there are just so many laws and things you have to be mindful of and careful of when you are dealing with a nonprofit organization. Business, both of them are business. There's just a taxation difference, but how you market the businesses are different. And I think that was new for me because I had worked in all sorts of business, but I never had a nonprofit. And the biggest challenge for me is getting people to see it's different. If someone Uh, goes to purchase a handbag or a shoe, they're getting something in return. You know, this is where you're pulling on the emotional strings and somebody has to have some level of attachment or understanding. I'm a firm believer that people don't donate to businesses, they donate to people, which causes you, if you're the CEO or the person running this foundation, to be exposed more, to be open more, to be in the community, to explain the story. You're constantly, you know, informing people. And so I would say the differences are, On both ends, there's always a lot of work, but the type of work is different and the challenges that come with that type of work is different. So, you know, even creating something like on the spectrum, which isn't nonprofit, but we create businesses also to help. In our case, what we did was we created businesses to also support our nonprofit because a lot of advocacy work we do, advocacy is not funded. People don't see even though I can clearly see, and I think some of the insurance companies that I've been talking to can clearly see, you know, if you have anybody who has any sort of any challenge, medical challenge, whoever the caregiver is, it can weigh on them heavily. 
they can be in, fall into depression. There's, you know, they spiral down, they lose themselves and they go through a level of mental anguish that's very difficult. And nobody's focused on that. Right now it's all about autism, but what about the caretaker? What about the caregiver, that mom, that dad? Maybe they had to give up their job for this child. And it creates a level of resentment, you know, towards your own child, believe it or not, when you feel like you might have other children or responsibilities that you have. And there's this kid that has all these challenges and it it could be difficult. So from the business side, I am always the business side of the nonprofit talking to the companies and partnerships that I would have on that end is completely different than I would have in a regular business. It's not the return on investment isn't always the same. And in your standard corporate world of business, it's like, okay, we invest this, we get this back. And how long do we get? It's really cut and dry on a nonprofit side. If you have partnerships or people who make investments into projects or things that you're doing, it's more so like, okay, we're going to do this and this is going to help save how many people's lives, right? And how do you put a dollar amount to that, right? They might want to be part of the most up-to-date research or collect a certain amount of data and that brings revenue, but it's completely different, you know, at least in this world for autism. Let's talk about the work that you do with entrepreneurs through the Blaze Academy. Okay. (laughs) So I love being able to transfer skills, right? Um, I think that had it not been for some of the opportunities and rooms I had a chance to sit in, I wouldn't have been in my seat. I'm a firm believer we are in a world where there's a lot of competition, and I don't think we need to compete at all. I think we need to learn to complement. I'm big on that, and especially women and women. You know, guys might not have that problem as much as we do, but the challenge is that I feel like we need to be in a position of showing people more. And a lot of times I've seen things in a variety of ways where people have a great business idea and they've executed, but they have zero foundation. Like they don't know if they're an LLC, an S corp, if they've even filed any type of protection. Some people that's just not their interest. I've had friends that own multiple orthodontist offices and done financially, you know, they did, they were very successful. But their back end was so messy. You know what I mean? And the foundation of the business could cost you, whether it's in lawsuits or losing an idea because you didn't protect it. So I wanted to make sure that people first understood the foundation of business and then begin to have an opportunity to layer on that foundation. What I also think is cool about teaching or showing people the ropes of business, right? And everybody's always looking for that big secret, you know, what's that big secret? You know, for me, it's it's my faith, right? I know that everything that I have gone through and everything I've been exposed to is in my life with intention and purpose because this is what God had planned for me. But I didn't think he allowed me to go through this because this is just funny. He's not in heaven looking down like, oh, Terry, let me see how many hoops you can jump through. I think this is for me because my responsibility is the platform he's given me. He's entrusting me to transfer these things for people to see for themselves for who they are. And it took me a while to get there. And I kind of want to fast track people, right? I'm going to say, yeah, I felt that way before as a business person. I didn't feel good enough. I wasn't qualified. I didn't fit the resume, if you will, but that's okay. And you know, if you had any of these kind of hurdles, abandonment, abuse in a particular way, whatever it is, all of those things actually are going to help you find out whether it's a nonprofit you start or even a for-profit business, you'll actually find your passion and your pain. I believe that. And most people that I know who have had struggles, even down to the people like Steve Jobs, 
you know, the, those people actually found their purpose in their pain. If you really knew his inside story, it's not like, oh, okay, he thought about technology and he jumped into a group with a bunch of guys and they all came up with the Apple. Like there were certain things and hurdles that he had in his personal life even when he was married, you know, that most people didn't even realize that he was going through, but it was actually what fueled his passion and he was able to execute and create such an amazing product. So utilize, even with Blaze, so teaching entrepreneurs, first, it's like, don't pick something because someone else did well at it. That's what people do. I mean, today we're living in a society of copycat. I want to be exactly what this person is and make the same amount of money or I can do that, but they don't, they're not doing it because they're passionate about, they're doing it because they see the end result of the profit, but they don't even want to understand the go through. So they, if you, I always say to people, if you, you, you know, the, oh, Miss Terry, they'll say, I want to be like you when I grow up. Cause they might see a certain shoe or handbag or think I drive a cool Range Rover, but I'm like, do you want to go through what I had to go through? Let me tell you what I had to go through. And are you willing to do all of these things and sacrifice all of this time and you know, whatever in order to land here. And that might not be how you get there. But the thing about it is, is that you will have some sacrifice. Success doesn't come without it, right? And in my struggles where I found my strength and you will too, it is not easy being an entrepreneur, but you work hard, you play hard, right? In the end, if you learn how to play. (laughs) I still think sometimes I'm like, do I know how to just stop and have a good time? I'm always in work mode. But I would say that that even that side of my entrepreneurial side has helped me in the space of autism, because those are where I see moms as an example or dads as an example. Like we had a mom who made $70,000 a year. She had two kids on the spectrum. Her husband worked. They went through a divorce. He left her. She had two children and she was now on welfare and WIC. Here she was with a degree crying like, I can't believe this. I never thought I would be on the welfare system. This is not how I grew up. And um, her sons drew Christmas all year long. Do you know what we did with her? She had never been an entrepreneur. She always worked, you know, clock in, clock out, a blue collar type job. And she's like, I can't be an entrepreneur. I'm like, why can't you? Right? Like, let me show you. Your sons have taught you your negotiating skills because you're always dealing with them and trying to get them in the bath or the bed at a certain time. You've had to learn patience. Like, all the things that you have needed to learn from that an entrepreneur will need, you're learning through your autistic children dealing with them every day. And she couldn't correlate the two until we kind of laid it out. Do you know now this lady who was making $70,000 a year? We took her son's Christmas tree drawings, made wrapping paper out of them. She sells them on Etsy and her revenue's five million. Wow. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like five million dollars. And now she's not worrying about, you know, what her future is going to look like. And she hasn't done anything else. She's really stuck to the whole wrapping paper. That's her niche. That's what it is. And there's a mission behind it. So not only now with the wrapping paper, she, the social responsibility, because I always teach companies, you know, have some level of social responsibility, learn to give back. Don't just do it so you check off the box. Do it because there's true meaning behind it and encourage your employees to do it. Those types of things. So with her, that's what she does. With her wrapping paper, there's a mission statement that's behind it. She gives back to autism, obviously, having two kids on the spectrum. And then there's another passion she has. My, you know, passion I have too is for the homeless because at one time as a child, I was homeless with my my own mom and I can't start another nonprofit. I don't have the capacity to, but I have the capacity to serve. 
So, you know, I give back in those areas um, when I can, whether it's both with time and or money. So that business side of me has been able to be used on both ends. And again, transferring those type of skills to individuals who may not see themselves for, for really what they're capable of doing or they have it, but they just don't know how to scale. Sometimes as businesses, we get stuck working and doing, but how can you walk away from your business and it's still making money and you don't have to be in the office every single day? Yeah. So you help those people take the fear out of entrepreneurship and find their gifts and then channel that in the right direction to grow a business. Yeah, James, the way you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Very, very cool. That's terrific. So what does the future hold for Terry Matthews and on the spectrum and Jaden's voice? What are you working on? What do you think about? So I would say, James, you know, I say this in all seriousness, but it's wherever God is going to lead me. My heart is really just open because I don't think that I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm here for no reason that even just our meeting and, you know, working with Devin at the Blaine group and just all of this is with intention and purpose. It, you know, I might not know exactly what the end looks like. I just want to be available to whatever my next steps are. And if I have my way, and I do believe that we should write down what our goals and our visions are. I do believe, I mean, I, I have those large sticky posted notes. They're like art in my house because I have like my goals written on them and what I see and what I want and words of affirmation and encouraging myself sometimes because things get hard at times, right? And so in that for On the Spectrum, I see it being on having a large platform of people who watch our show who relate to us, not just the parents on the spectrum, but the therapists and the doctors and the restaurants and the business owners and all those people that are watching this show. And we have a level of um, where we're entertaining people and we're laughing. You know, I, I say, you're, you're going to cry on the show, but we're going to dry it up with laughter. It's going to be a combination thereof. And I feel like us being an influence to help change and make a political change all the way up to the White House. Decisions that are made with where funding should go. You know, I think that we will impact the homeless population as well because, you know, we have a lot of people that are on the spectrum that are homeless because they weren't provided the resources. Nobody taught them those independent living skills. Jobs weren't prepared for them. If they don't know how to go in an interview and look you in the eye, because that's traditional interviewing, right? You shake a firm handshake, you look someone in the eye. Well, autistic people don't really look you in the eye. They might sound monotone. They might look down. But guess what? They do a hell of a job at the job that they're given, right? But you won't know that because we won't get past the, well, they didn't look me in the eye. Are they being dishonest about something? We're not living in that era anymore. You know, I think that if we don't change, the world's going to force us to change. So I feel like On the Spectrum is going to be a great platform to talk about those things where, you know, great if I did a post And I have some followers and people hear about it. But I want a big, large audience from a global perspective that has a chance to see this, you know, not just nationally, but globally. One of the questions I ask all of my guests is if you were going to start a business in the online video space today, what would you do? Now, obviously, you are right in the midst of that with On the Spectrum. Do you have any thoughts of what you've gone through, what you've learned through this effort of starting a media business for the first time? James, I need uh, technology 101. I'm like in that transition space of like, <laughs> I used to laugh at my mom because she didn't know how to use Facebook, but I, I could use Facebook. But now my kids laugh at me like, mom, you don't know that this can happen on social media. So I would say, um, you know, 
the the smartest thing that I think that I have done is hired the smartest people around me. You know, I, I have I jokingly say I may have not gone to Harvard, but I know how to hire people that have. Right. So that's that's the great thing about being an entrepreneur and understanding your lane. Right. And I think the biggest thing is understanding what social media and how social networks will support whatever business that you're doing. you got to really understand your audience. It's a business. It's just completely different. And now it's online, right? Um, how do you have influencers? How do you garner the respect when there's so many other things from media that you're competing against? There's ads and commercials now and all these different things that are taking people's distraction. Um, and so I think you have to know, one, what's the best platform to get your message out on and maximizing that platform. And I'm a firm believer. I kind of am still old school when it comes to this. And, and some people may not agree with me, but I feel like you can't do all things, right? You find your niche, you focus on that niche, you learn that particular platform, you move it. If there are one or two that you need to do, but I'm not going to be on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever else is coming out you next. You have to focus. Yeah, like yep. it's you're all over. And if you try to create messages for all of those platforms, you could go bananas, right? Like it's just, and it's not the only thing in my life. I'm still a mom. I'm still a wife. You know, I still have me <laughs> and I'm learning that still, you know, as an entrepreneur, don't forget about yourself. As a mom, don't forget about yourself. As a wife, don't forget about yourself. So, you know, the, the thing about it is, and because by nature, I'm a giver, I think you naturally forget about yourself, but what I will say to you is this, is that it is a great place to start and you can't discount it because I also think that if we don't, if we think we're not starting out on OWN or CBS or something like that, you know, well, who's going to watch it or is the show valuable? I mean, there are a lot of people that are doing great on YouTube today and have never touched a network. I know people who have 11 million followers that are watching their show, you know, and they're doing well. And you have platforms like Facebook who has their own channel now that's out and you have people like YouTube and you have the Netflix. And so don't discount if you didn't end up on NBC or CBS, which are great, but understand your platform and target that. If Facebook is what it is and your ultimate goal is to get a a deal with Facebook to have that channel and have them support your platform, then go for it. And they're paying you today. Facebook's paying. Well, they're they're in, you know, the hot seat. Sorry, Mark, you're my boy. I get it. But, you know, they're the thing about it is they're not going anywhere. I mean, even if Mark's not running the company, somebody's going to run the company. Facebook is just not going to shut down. So at the end of the day, I feel like uh, just to kind of answer your question, know what platform works the best for you. Yeah. Right? And I think with your global ambitions and the idea of you know bringing down those stereotypes and sharing the stories of these people, connecting people, YouTube is a great way to do that. And then you know leveraging the power of uh, network TV when the time comes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to your point, 100%, because again, when I think about those countries, most of those countries are watching YouTube. When I have sat with those moms or dads in those countries and saying, you know, they were sharing with me what they might have been doing to help their child speak. They go, oh, I go to YouTube and I would look up this or I would look up that. And so um, to your point, yes, it helps extend us from a global perspective because everybody has a phone these days. I mean, everybody has a phone these days so they can get to Pretty much any of those social media platforms. Yeah, that's right. Where can people find out more about you and more about Jaden's Voice and On the Spectrum? So thanks for asking that question. For Jaden's Voice, it's www.jadensvoice, that's J-A-D-E-N-S-V-O-I-C.org. We also have On the Spectrum, so that's www.on, O-N, the Spectrum. 
www.thepromo.tv. And so that'll direct you right to our, our site right now. Our promo videos are out and our show launches on April 2nd. So that's Autism Awareness Month. So we're pushing very big. And of course, our Instagram and our Facebook page is also on the spectrum in Jaden's voice. So we would love for people to subscribe to our channel. That's a big deal for us as we too are creating our own platform so that we have an opportunity to reach people all over the world. Well, Terry, thank you so much for the incredible work that you do and for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. It's incredible. And and we can't wait to see uh, what happens with On the Spectrum. We're going to continue to be big supporters. And if there's other ways that people can contribute and and give to the cause that uh, you support, please let us know. Well, thank you so much. Uh, This is extremely um, important for those of you who are out there that have nonprofits. You do have to ask to give. And that's that's a big difference between, you know, business and nonprofit because you you do need the donations. Every donation that we receive at Jaden's Voice, so if you go to jadensvoice.org and you can click donate, 100% of the money does not go to our brick and mortar. It doesn't even go to admin. That's my donation. 100% of the money goes to support our families. And right now, again, as you heard me say earlier, advocacy is not really supported through grants and funding. We're not funded by government of any sort in any type of way. Um, 100% of how we run our organization, I'm the largest donator, but we've had individuals to donate to the organization. And that's how we're able to support the community. And all of the services that we have provided at Jaden's Voice since its inception has been 100% free. And again, not only here in the United States, but we've also, we have a center in both Zambia and Ghana and recently provided services to 585 kids. Along with clothing and food, we help build schools and provide supplies and educate the teachers there on what autism looks like. So these children are no longer getting beat because of behavior or people thinking something's wrong with them and they're going to spank them to get whatever the issue is out. So in my mind, if you're donating, you're helping save a life and educate a community of people and you're protecting the vulnerable population. So thank you so much for those donators. Thank you. That's incredible. (laughs) And uh, please keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. (laughs) 